I want to ask you to open up your Bibles, if you have your Bibles here this morning, uh, or scroll over to the book of Acts, chapter number 11, as we continue in our series on the book of Acts um, this morning with Acts, chapter number 11. Some of you may have tried to go and listen to last week's message. If you weren't here last week, uh, I shared a message called Nothing Unclean. And unfortunately, there was one thing that was unclean, and that was our recording from last week. There was a bit of technical difficulty on it, and so we don't actually have that recording up online. Um, But I wanted to uh, just kind of recap a little bit what I shared last week, because what I shared really feeds into this morning's message. They really are very intricately linked, because last week we were in Acts chapter number 10, And we see how Peter goes up onto a roof to pray. And he is really, really, really hungry uh, when he goes up there. And the Bible says he he kind of falls down into this trance and and God gives him a vision uh, of food, which I sometimes experience that same thing when I'm so hungry that um, I have visions of food. But this this one was from God, not from his stomach. And God shows him this vision of a sheet. And uh, in the sheet, all kinds of animals that were considered under the Israel law, under the Mosaic law, as unclean. And God says to Peter, get up, kill something, and eat it. And, and Peter refuses. He says, no, God, I've never eaten anything unclean. I, I'm not going to go and, and eat a reptile or something that is considered uh, unclean according to the law. And God then says something very powerful to Peter. God says to Peter, do not call something that I have made clean unclean. And three times God repeats this to Peter, says, don't call something that I've made clean, unclean. Don't call something I've made clean, unclean. And and as Peter comes out of this vision, there's a knock on the door. And there's three guys, three times God said it, and there's three guys, Gentile guys, who under Peter's understanding of how God worked, would have been considered unclean. People who are not of the nation of God. And God, and, and as they come and they knock on the door, Peter knows that God was telling him, go with these guys. Don't call people. It was about people. It wasn't really about food. It was about people. But God was telling Peter, if I have made somebody clean, don't call them unclean. And so what we looked at last week was 2 Corinthians 5.16, how it says we consider no one, we regard no one according to the flesh any longer. We don't think about people according to their fleshly performance or their fleshly standing. We think about people the way God thinks about people. And we said, who does no one include? And number one, it includes yourself. So we don't think about ourselves as the old sinful people anymore. We, have, we renew our mind and we keep telling ourselves, I'm a new person in Christ. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm deeply loved. I'm, I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm forgiven. And when you believe and you start to see yourself that way, you actually start to live that way. If you still see yourself the way you used to be, you'll never truly walk in the victory that Jesus has given you. And uh, we continued on by saying, not only do we see ourselves that way, we don't regard ourselves according to the flesh, but we also, we no longer regard others according to the flesh. We don't look at other believers and go, oh, you know what, he messed up, just count him out. You know, that's it, he's done. You know, he messed up one time or he's struggling with this sin or he's going through this issue, so God can't work with him because we like to do that. We like to judge who's worthy and who's not worthy. But the scripture tells us we no longer think about people that way. And if you're not thinking about people that way, you can actually encourage them. You can be an encourager. Paul says, as long as it is called today, encourage one another. 
And so we looked at that, at that power of being able to tell people, even when they fail, to sit with them and go, but this is not who you are. I know who you are. You're loved. You're holy. You're righteous. You're called. God has done something in your life. He's preparing you for something. He's, he's, he's opening doors for you. He's got plans for you. And, 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 and in my life, I can't tell you how helpful it's been having friends around me that have been able to tell me things like that. In those moments when I doubted myself, uh, in the biggest way, having people come and go, no, God has called you. God has not abandoned you. God is, God is with you. He's, he's setting you up for something. And, uh, and we even said that that means that we can start treating people who are unbelievers differently. Those guys that knocked on Peter's door, they weren't believers yet. But God said, don't call what I have made clean unclean. In other words, we no longer judge people according to their sin. We're not standing here like a bunch of self-righteous Christians going, oh, he's got that sin and he's messed up in that way. And he's a no, we get to see people according to their potential in Christ and treat them in that way. So ultimately, we get to encourage people and give them a picture of what God's love is. Give them a picture of how God can work in a person's life, no matter who they are. And so we're going to feed out of that this morning uh, with a message entitled, The Encourager, The Encourager. And that's because in Acts chapter number 11, where we're going to start off this morning, Acts 11 and verse 19, we see somebody who was absolutely incredible at being this kind of an encourager, being able to, to take risks on people and, and finding those that others had counted out and restoring them and, and being patient with people and, and, and just having a great effect um, on people in the New Testament. And so we're going to start off this morning by reading Acts chapter number 11 and verse 19. And I'm going to read through to verse 26. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Initially, the ministry was going out uh, to, the, to the Jewish people. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks, also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted, which means to encourage. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, Disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch is the first time that, that the believers were called Christians, which means a little Christ or little versions of Jesus, people who are acting and, and living uh, as Jesus would. I also just want to read 1 Thessalonians 5.11 this morning before I pray. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Again, Paul reiterates this to whoever he writes. He goes, encourage one another. Be encouragers. Build each other up in love. Don't forsake meeting together, but come together and, and encourage one another. 
Let's go ahead and pray this morning, and we're going to talk a little bit about this man called Barnabas. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that you are here encouraging us all this morning, Jesus. As we share your word, as we, as we look at your truth, as we look at what you've called us to, God, we are filled with faith. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with a sense of purpose and a sense of calling God and a, and, and, and a sense of the, of the weightiness of everything that you have, have brought into our lives, God. And we are grateful for it this morning, Jesus. We're grateful that we get to live lives that, that mean more than serving ourselves, God. We're grateful that we get to do things that matter and be a part of things, God, that are making a difference. We're grateful that we get to encourage one another and be encouraged in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Acts 11 mentions this man, which we just read, by the name of Barnabas. And, uh, and what a lot of people don't know is that Barnabas isn't actually his real name. This is actually a name that's, that's given to him by the apostles and the believers. It's kind of like a, a nickname based on a characteristic that they, uh, that they saw in. How, how many of you have, have ever had nicknames? Come on, we've all had nicknames at some point or another. Some of them were good. Uh, other t- others weren't as good, and you hoped they would be forgotten. Uh, some of them you got from your family growing up, and, uh, or perhaps for some friends. And sometimes you just do one thing, just one thing, one time, and that nickname will just stick uh, forever. I heard the nickname of a guy called Bad Back Brown because once in his life, one time, he came to school and he said, my, his name was John Brown and he was like, my, my, my back hurts. And so he became, that's him done for five years, Bad Back Brown. The rest of school, he's Bad Back Brown. And, um, and so we get lots of different nicknames. I, I, uh, I remember going to speak at uh, the University of Johannesburg and the guy who was overseeing the meeting that I was speaking at came up to me and he introduced himself to me as Rickoffy. And I was like, oh, no, what's, no, what's for real? And he was like, no, no, Rickoffy, that's his nickname, Rickoffy. And I was like, man, who wants to be named after instant coffee? Like, like nickname me Nespresso, Vida E, you know, whatever other, you know, Arabica, whatever else you want to call me, but not you know, Frisco or, or Rickoffy. It's just not the nickname that you want. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I really hope that that one doesn't stick uh, for him. Um, but we have, we have nicknames and we love to give nicknames, especially when we're in school. Um, we, I remember having one Afrikaans teacher at our school who, uh, who had the craziest kind of blonde, curly hair, basically an afro, basically a white guy with a curly, big, blonde afro, all right? And he left it like that. He left it uh, nice and big. And, and uh, he also insisted on wearing very, very uh, tight jeans and, uh, and buffaloes. I don't know if anybody remembers what buffaloes were, but basically platform shoes for men, okay? I'm ashamed to say that I, I owned a pair at some stage, just when I felt like being six foot three. You know, that's just the, the pair that I would put on. And um, and I can't remember what this teacher's name was, but we called him Slideshow. That was our, our name for him because he looked exactly like Slideshow Bob from The Simpsons. And so one, somebody just mentioned it once, and for the rest of school, he was Slideshow. Who are you going, what class do you have now? Slideshow. Um, we had another guy who played rugby with us who in one really important game, the ball got passed to him. And even though he was a great winger and often scored good tries, he wasn't very good at handling. His handling skills were lacking slightly. And on this one particular occasion, he grabbed everything except the ball. You know, when somebody has several attempts at it, but just doesn't make it happen. And, and uh, I think somebody mentioned after the game that it looked like he was playing the cymbals. And that was it. For the rest of school, the next three years, it was symbols for Yun. Symbols. Hey, symbols, how's it going? Because it looks like he's playing symbols 
when he's trying to catch a ball. It wasn't very nice. I don't think it stuck after school, fortunately for him. But Barnabas is one of these guys that his actual name was Joseph. And we see this um, in Acts chapter number 4 and verse 36. Um, it says, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So the apostles saw something in this guy called Joseph, and they decided to nickname him, uh, changing his name from Joseph to Barnabas, which basically means the encourager. Uh, in, in, if you say the word Barnabas in the original Greek, it would be Barnabas. And Bar means son of, and Nabas means to exhort or to prophesy or to encourage. And it was, a, it was a way of saying, this is a son of encouragement. This is an encourager. This guy is encouraging. We're all encouraged when we're around him. We're all encouraged by his ministry. We're all encouraged by his faith. And Barnabas was an incredible leader that we have in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. And one of the reasons why he was such an incredible leader was because he was an incredible leader maker. Not only somebody who led, but somebody who made leaders. And as leaders in the kingdom, that's one of our greatest responsibilities is to make other leaders. As disciples, our greatest responsibility is to make more disciples, right? That's what we call to every single one of us. And, and, and that's what leadership looks like. Now you might say, I haven't heard much about Barnabas. I haven't heard this about this Barnabas fellow as much as I've heard about Paul or Timothy or the other guys, but that's just a testament to how good he was as a Christian leader. That's, that, that's exactly how good a leader he was because in Christianity, we don't lead so that we can point people to ourselves and say, look how good I am. Look how much I do. Do you know my name? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what my accolades are? Do you know what my records are? Do you know what I've built? We don't do what we do as Christians for that purpose. It's not so that people can look at us and say, wow, that's a great leader. It's so that we can point people to Jesus instead, so that we can point people to past us and say, but it's Jesus. We don't do this for fame. We don't do this for accolades and the praise of men. We don't do this uh, so that we can be known. We don't do this for money. We do this for Jesus so that people can be reconciled to God, so that those who are far from God can be raised to life in Christ. That's why we do this. And that's how good Barnabas was at it, that if it wasn't for the fact that he's recorded all over the book of Acts and even in Paul's letters, we wouldn't even know about this guy. He would have just faded into the background. And he was happy doing that. He was happy to, to raise people up and push them so that others uh, are able to fulfill their destiny instead of always trying to use others to fulfill his destiny. That's real leadership. Releasing people into the destiny that God has for them. Setting people up to win. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the, the message paraphrase of the Bible, said, you are at your pastoral best when you are not noticed. That's when you know you're being your pastoral best when you're not noticed how do you know that you have a good worship team when you forgot that the worship team was there instead of the worship team being the center of attention the worship team is simply facilitating our eyes towards God helping us put our faith in God and and focus on Jesus as good pastors we we want to go unnoticed 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 to 6 Paul says this he says nor did we see glory from people whether from you or from others Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
There's two statements I've always made about, about leadership. One is that leadership is problem solving. I'm just throwing this out as a freebie for you this morning. Leadership is problem solving. How I know when I have leaders in my midst is when people come to me and they say, hey, there's this problem, but they also suggest a solution. And I often challenge guys with that. They come say, oh, Adrian, this is the problem. I go, okay, so what do you think we should do? What, what, that's leadership, is being able to solve those problems. But more importantly, leadership is influence. If you're not influencing people to take the action that you've come up with in solving the problem, you're basically doing it by yourself. You're not leading anybody. And so if leadership is influence, Christian leadership means to influence people towards Christ. It's to help people see Jesus more clearly, become more like him, uh, be more intimately acquainted with him as a person, with the gospel, with the scriptures, with the work of the Holy Spirit. And the way that we do that as Christians is not through coercion. It's not through manipulation. It's not through force. It's not through, through uh, uh, you know, uh, putting all kinds of restraints on people. It's to do it lovingly and gently, like Paul says. We, we, we could have made demands as apostles, but we didn't want praise from people. Instead, we, we treated you like, like you were our children and, and, and we were your parents. If you think about your parents for a moment, and I, I can definitely say that this is, is true of my parents, is that they never want you to excel so that they can get the glory. You know, love of a parent is, is, is more pure than that. They don't say, well, I want my children all to do well so that everybody can look at me and say, well, he was a great parent. No, our parents want us to exceed or excel because they love us. Okay, and, and I want all my boys to play for the Springboks. And, and I'll admit to you today that that's partly because I want free tickets. But besides for that, whatever they end up doing in life, I just want to see them living fulfilled lives, fulfilling the call of God on their lives. And so um, it's one of the, the, I have many responsibilities as a, as, a, as, a, as a dad and as a parent. But the greatest responsibility for me is to help my kids and my family know Jesus. And I think sometimes we miss this. When we set out making disciples, we oftentimes look for people that, that are out there or people that are church, and that's good. I'm really encouraging everybody to be discipling at least one or two people in their lives actively on a weekly basis. We should do that. But you know where discipleship starts? It starts at home. If you're a husband, it starts with discipling your wife. If you're, a, if you're a dad, it starts with discipling your own kids and showing them who Jesus is in a, in a real and an authentic way. And this is an area that I uh, have fallen short in before, where I have been so busy discipling others that I realize it's so easy to come home and go, okay, I've done my work, I've done my discipling, I've helped people see Jesus, now it's time for me to just, just, uh, just chill and just be by myself. But God has called me to, as a husband, be a discipler. As a dad, be a discipler. And we can all take that role in the lives of people around us, discipling them, helping them know Jesus more. So we want to be encouragers. We want to encourage people to understand who they are in Jesus. We want to, it's part of discipleship. It's, it's one of the biggest parts of discipleship is the Bible speaks about maturity as a Christian is growing into Jesus, into the head, into him, holding fast to the head so that we can grow with the growth that is from God. And so helping people understand who they are in Christ is the, one of the main components of discipleship. So we want to be encouragers. We want to be like Barnabas. We want to be leaders. We want to be leader makers. And so I'm going to share with you in the time that we have together this morning four uh, characteristics or four things that we need 
if we're going to be encouragers, if we're going to be leader makers. Number one, which we've already kind of touched on, is that you need to be humble. If we're going to really encourage others, we need to ask God to help us be humble and, and add humility to our lives. We need to get to that place if you're going to be an encourager of others where we understand that everybody in your life doesn't exist for your purpose. Because we have, as selfish people, this tendency to think that everybody around me exists to make me feel more loved or more accepted or, or, or more important. We, we, we often use people as, as kind of a device to reflect ourselves off of. How do people see me? How do people view me? What do people think about me? And it's just simply self-centeredness. Seeing people as, as your next step or your next connection or the next stepping stone that's going to help you do whatever it is that you want to do is self-centeredness. It's selfishness. And if we're going to be encouragers, we have to be like Barnabas who's willing to fade into the background and go, it's okay if I'm the least. The Bible says we should consider every person as more important than ourselves. Fade into the background and, and, and lift others to preeminence. And this is actually, it requires great security to be secure in who you are and in who God has called you to be. Being willing to take a step back and let others lead or let others uh, be up front or let others get the attention or the glory, it requires security. We need to be secure in Christ if we're going to be humble. Otherwise, we'll always be pushing to be up front. We'll always be pushing to, uh, for a little bit more significance. In the scripture that we read uh, this morning from Acts eleven nineteen to 26, it tells us that, that Barnabas had some success in ministry. He, he is sent by the apostles. Now, if I am in Jerusalem and the apostles go, hey, let's send Adrian and let's send him into Antioch. And I go, wow, the apostles chose me to go and preach in Antioch. And I go all the way there and I preach and miracles start happening. People are getting saved. My ministry is fruitful. People are turning to the Lord. It says many are being added. I don't know about you, but I would be very tempted to go, that's it, I got this. I don't need any help. I don't need to go and fetch anybody else to help me in this. I'm gonna establish myself as the main preacher guy in Antioch, the pastor, the leader, the Christian head of the whole city of Antioch. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead because obviously God is with me. That's what we would all be tempted to do. But when we look at at Barnabas, the very next verse, verse 25 says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. After having that, that great success, he goes, I, I wanna get a young guy. Now, now Saul had gotten saved. He was in Jerusalem preaching for a little bit. And then, the, and then there were some threats against his life. So the, the apostles sent him to Tarsus, which is where he was originally from. And Paul spent three years in Tarsus. And he writes later in his letters that in that time, God was just speaking to him and revealing the gospel to him in a greater way. And here goes Barnabas and he goes, hey, where's that Saul guy? He's like in semi-retirement. He preached for a week and now he's gone. I'm gonna go get him. There's potential in that guy. I'm gonna go fetch him and I'm gonna bring him with me to Antioch. And that's exactly what he does. He goes to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. We can't encourage others if we're too busy being full of ourselves. We can't uplift others if we're too busy trying to uplift ourselves in the eyes of those around us. We need humility. Otherwise, their success will threaten us. 
seeing other young leaders rise up will be a threat to you. But if you're secure in who you are, you will be able to release them. Humility empowers us to empower others. Humility empowers us to empower others. And so the first thing that we need if we're going to be an encourager is, is to be humble. We need humility. Number two is that we need to be willing to take risks. We need to be willing to take risks. If we are going to be encouragers, we need to be willing to take risks as leaders all of the time. It's part of leadership is taking risks. But more so in this situation or in this context, we need to be willing to take risks on people. Take some risks on people. Take some people that others have counted out, that others have said that person will never amount to anything. That person uh, has, has uh, disqualified themselves by doing this or by doing that, or they've just been nowhere, or they don't have the potential, or they don't have ever. If we are going to be encouragers, if we're truly going to consider no man according to the flesh, then we need to be willing to go and reach those that others won't reach. Take risks on people. It tells us that when Barnabas uh, came to Antioch, it says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. I love that scripture because what it tells us is, is that when, when, when Barnabas saw God's grace at work in people's lives, it brought joy to him. It was something that encouraged him. It made him glad. In other words, he had an eye for grace. He loved seeing God take hopeless cases and take people who have been counted out by society and those who have struggled with habitual sin and those who have had issues in the past. And Barnabas was so excited to see how God's grace can work in a person's life. And this is what Jesus was like as well. Jesus went and picked not the religious elite, not the guys that were at the top of their game, but Jesus went and picked the, the, uh, the, the guys from the docks, the fishermen, those who had failed in any other profession and just went into just being a tradesman. Those are the guys that Jesus picked to become his apostles. The head of the church was a fisherman named Peter. So, so Barnabas loved seeing the grace of God at work in people. And I really want to encourage us this morning to have that same heart. Have an eye for grace. Have an eye for people that others have counted out and go and fetch them. It's one of the reasons why we have this church is to create a space where you can go and fetch people and bring them into an environment where they can, where they can connect with others, connect with Jesus and, and be a part of what God has, has got ordained for them. Barnabas was constantly taking these kinds of risks. We see it right in the beginning when, or in Acts 9 when, when Paul was still Saul and he was still the guy going around murdering Christians and dragging them off to prison and standing by as people were getting stoned. And Saul is on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 and he sees Jesus, has this incredible encounter. And he then goes to Jerusalem and he wants to tell the guys, hey, I'm, I'm saved now. I understand what you guys were talking about. I'm, I'm also, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm with you on this. And, and they're like, no ways, not this guy. This is a trick. We know this guy. We know, that, we know that this guy is crafty. He's zealous. He's been throwing a bunch of our friends in jail. He stood by as, as, as Christians were murdered. And this is a trap. He's going, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, guys. I'm a Christian. And the moment we go there, all the apostles, we're all going to be arrested and we're all going to be thrown into prison and, uh, and probably stoned to death. But there's one person who's willing to take a risk on, on Saul, and that's Barnabas. Barnabas was willing to step out and go, 
hey, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Other guys are doubting his sincerity, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to go, and I'm going to, to, to see if I can, if I can reach him. And, and he goes, Acts 9, 26, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is now Paul. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out, Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly the name of the Lord. Barnabas risks himself here, risks his own life, risks his own safety, and he fetches Saul and, and he brings him into the rest of the believers. And that's what risk takers do. That's what leader makers do. They fetch people. They're willing to, to go out and, and bring those that the rest of the people are weary of and say, come, I'll walk a road with you. I'll go with you. As a church, as Anchor Church, we want to be willing to take risks on people. Are there going to be times when it will backfire? Absolutely. That's why it's called a risk. It wouldn't be a risk if there was no risk. So it will backfire at times. But those times that it works out, if Saul wasn't reached by Barnabas, who knows if he would have done what he had done? Who knows if we would be here today? Who knows if we would have the Bible that we have today? But Barnabas took a risk, and that risk paid off in a big way. Number three. So number one, you have to be humble. Number two, you have to be willing to take risks on people. And number three kind of feeds out of that is that if we're going to be encouragers, we have to be patient with the failures of others. Be patient with failure. Be patient when people struggle. Be patient when people don't have it all together. We often want everybody else to have it all together while we know we don't have it together at the same time. No, you guys must get it together, but what about you? No, no, I'm still working on me, but you get it together. <laughs> Acts 15 verse 36 says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, this is uh, an incredible thing that happens Later on, Paul and Barnabas have been touring together now, preaching the gospel for 10 to 15 years. And it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Here there's a sharp disagreement, a fight that breaks out between Barnabas and Paul, these two friends that have been on ministry trips together and been preaching together for years and years and years. And we don't ex know exactly what issue it was that Paul had uh, with John Mark or exactly why John Mark withdrew from them. But what we know is, is that Paul didn't take uh, it very kindly that at a certain point in ministry that John Mark withdrew. And let's be honest, he was called by God to be there, to be with Paul. So when he withdrew, it was failure on, on behalf of, of John Mark. He was supposed to go with them into that. He was supposed to be faithful to the work he'd been called to. He was supposed to go with Paul into Pamphylia and, and do what God had called him to do. But for whatever reason, John Mark was afraid. It could have been that he was afraid of the persecution that they were facing or that he had some disagreement with Paul over something. But for whatever reason, he left and he went back to his mom's house in Jerusalem. <laughs> he literally left and went back to mom, right? That's what, that's what John Mark did. 
And Paul doesn't take kindly to this. He says, that's it. You're done. I I can't work with people that aren't willing to, to do what needs to be done. We've got a great call ahead of us. We've got a great gospel. And this thing needs to get done. And there is a place for that in Christianity. Sometimes we need to be pushed a little bit and say, hey, there's a work to be done. Let's get to it and let's do it. Some people need to encourage us in that way. But John Mark had failed before, and Paul doesn't want to give him a second chance. However, Barnabas, remember, he had that eye for grace. And Barnabas fights for him to the point where he fights with his own friend and says, no, we've got to give this guy another chance. And when when Paul disagrees completely and says he won't come with us, Barnabas goes, okay, then I'll go with him. I'll go with him. We'll separate. we'll, We'll split up. We've got to believe that if God is able to raise the dead physically, then he is also able to take those who have messed up, those who have, who have failed, those who have given up, those who have faltered, and still restore them to incredible things. And maybe you feel like one of those people today. You feel like one of those people and go, I've messed up too many times, I've struggled, I've failed, I've given up before, so I don't know exactly what God can do in my life. The Bible shows us that God can do everything that he wanted to do. He's sovereign. If he can raise the dead, he can raise your life. He can, he can move you into everything that he's, that he's got for you. And sometimes as encouragers, we just need to be patient with the failures of others. We need to stick with them long enough to see God do that work of restoration. We don't believe in that brand of Christianity that says, if you make one mistake, you're out. If you fail once, you're out. No, we believe that God can restore all people and do incredible things through people's lives. So Barnabas sticks with John Mark, and then we see something really encouraging later on when Paul writes a letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Get John Mark. Get that guy, the one that I said beforehand that I don't want anything to do with him. Go get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to for me, uh, for ministry. He's very useful to me for, you, for ministry. Isn't that incredible? The same guy that, that Paul would literally split up from his best friend for because he's so upset about what this guy had done before. And because Barnabas stuck with him, God restored him. And later, Paul the apostle says, bring Mark with me. Bring Mark with you, Timothy, when you come because he is useful to me for ministry. That's what encouragers do. That's what leader makers do. And John Mark became a great leader and was able to be used by God in an incredible way. Finally this morning, if we are going to be encouragers, then we need to be generous. Number four is to be generous. Money is often at the heart of our selfishness. And what I mean when I say that is that it's easy for us to go, no, I'm a generous person. I'm a generous guy. I believe that about myself. I'm a, I'm a, I care about people and, uh, and I'm not self-centered. I'm, I'm not selfish. It's easy to say that about yourself until somebody asks you for some of your money. <laughs> then you're like, whoa, what's, what are you talking about? Why do you want, what do you want with my money? Why are you talking about money? I, you know, it's, this is my money. Why do you want some of my money? Can't you find your own money? It touches a nerve with all of us. Because ultimately, we have learned to trust in money. And sometimes we trust in money more than we trust in God. We, we, we say, oh, God's a provider. He'll provide. As long as my boss is also paying my salary, then I'm, I'm fine. 
But when that salary isn't there or when the money isn't there, we go, oh, what's going to happen? And we, we start panicking. And it, and it just shows how much trust we put in our finances. And this is a hindrance to us actually um, being generous and, and, and being faithful with what God has given us. I don't know about you, but whenever I have parked at, uh, at a mall or somewhere, um, you know, I'm always trying to sneak into my car without being noticed by the car guards, right? Have you, have you ever tried that? It's about as hard as when you were a kid and you tried to move through a, a room without setting off the little red eye from the alarm. I don't know if you ever tried that leopard crawling through your living room, trying to see if you could break into your own house. Um, but it's like that. It's like, can I get into my car without one of those guys coming in and, <laughs> you know, like whistling, <laughs> running after you, and you're like, man, you know? And that's the worst for me is when they whistle. My car's already out. I'm, I've put it in drive, and they're like, no, 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 come, come. No, you, okay, okay, I helped you. I mean, you were on the other side. You weren't even here when I was reversing, right? I actually once stopped and, and, and lowered down my window because I when I go to gym, I'm there a couple times a week, and so, you know, I, I, you know the guys see me there every week, every day almost, and I, and I lower down my, my window, and, uh, and I say to the guy, listen, if I have change, I'll give it to you. But when you see this white car, please don't whistle. Please just don't whistle because my nerves can't take it. It's like, you know, that, that, that panic that comes over you. But sometimes we sneak into our cars because we're, we're even worried about parting with five rand coins and three, three rand uh, that we have lying around in the car. Money is, is, is a big thing that can hold our heart in a big way. And this is what happens when we, when we trust in money more than we trust in God. And what the gospel does is the gospel speaks directly to the heart of this. The gospel speaks directly to the heart of this saying that God has already proven his faithfulness to you. So if you really trust in God, you will see the money that God has put in your hand, not as something that you need to store up for yourself and protect like something that's gonna disappear the moment you take your eyes off of it, but God is your provider. And so you can be generous, you can give, you can love, you can sow, you can help, you can be hospitable because God is the one who empowers you so that you can be generous. The Bible says that God will make us rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. The purpose of it is generosity. It's to be generous. It's to help. It's to be able to uplift those that, that can't uplift themselves. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Don't hold up stuff here that's, that's gonna stay behind when you go to heaven or that's, that's just gonna perish, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where nothing can take it away from you, where, where, where rust and moth cannot destroy, where nothing perishes. How do we store up treasure in heaven? By being generous on earth. By doing the things that God has called us to. If we're gonna be encouragers, we have to be generous with our lives. Open your life up to people. Open your finances up to people. Open, you know, be generous with, with your homes. Open up your homes and, and let people in. To be hospitable is a godly thing. It's something that Jesus does in you. He makes you generous. He makes you hospitable. I have an aunt who's like that. One of the most hospitable people I know when she lives in Nelspruit, and whenever I go there, uh, especially if I'm going to the Kruger, I'll, I'll say, hey, can we stay one night at your house? But these days I'm weary of it because it's easy to arrive, but it's difficult to leave. It's a Hotel California thing. You know, it's a, it's a, 
Okay, that was a bit of a throwback. But it's, uh, um, it, 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 she just doesn't want you to leave. She's always going, oh, just one more, just one more cup of coffee. Come on, just before you go, can I just do this? Oh, but you look so hungry. Can I just make you a sandwich? Can we just have lunch? And before you know, you've spent another day and a half there. And, and, and I once waited for her to go to the shops. And then I got into my car and left because that was the easiest way for me to leave. And I was like an hour and a half gone. I was, I was on my way back to Joburg. And she phoned me and she said, how far are you? Come back, come back. That's not too far. Come back. But I learned something about that, that when we're not all about, oh, this is my space, this is my private life, this is my, this is my couch, this is my living room, this is my house. But when we go, everything that I have belongs to the Lord. I'm a steward of it and I can use it to encourage others. I can open up my home, I can open up my life, I can open up my, my whatever I have to see others encouraged. And that's why God blesses us with things so that we can do that so that we can be generous and so that more people can be reached for the gospel. We've got to come to a point, if we're going to be encouragers, where we love people more than what we love money. That's really important. We see it again in the life of Barnabas, Acts chapter number four and verse 36. It says, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles, the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of, of Cyprus, sold a field, verse 37, that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas was generous. He was willing to be the least. He was willing to go without so that others can have. That's what it takes to be an encourager. I was challenged by this thought. What is it when we have some time to ourselves to, to dream and to think about our future? What is it that fills our minds? If you're thinking about your own future, are, is your mind always filled with things that you can own in the future? Oh, in the future, I'll have a nicer house. In the future, I'll have a better car. In the future, I'd like to have a holiday home at the beach. In the future, I'd like to, uh, to have better clothes. Or I'd have, like to have that. When you daydream about your life, and this is a challenge to me, are you thinking about possessions or are you thinking about people? When you daydream about your life, are you thinking about what you could own or are you thinking about how many people you could influence, how you could help? Are you, do you lie there thinking, you know what, maybe I should give that guy a call. He, he seemed a little bit down when I saw him last time. Maybe I should just give him, give him a phone call and just encourage him. Are you thinking, hey, you know, that person's got a birthday coming up. Maybe I should do something special for them. Are you, are you thinking about the gifts that you can buy for people and the things that you can do for people? And, 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 and sometimes something as small as a text message can mean a world to somebody. What fills our thoughts when we daydream about our lives? Possessions or people? And I want to put it to you this morning that if we are going to be encouragers, if we're going to play the role that God wants us to play, and make the leaders that God wants us to make, then we have got to be more, become more conscious of people, dream more about what God can do in the lives of people, develop an eye for grace more than what we develop an eye for material things. Amen? Come on, that's a challenge to every single one of us this morning. So to be encouragers, to conclude this morning, so to be encouragers, we need to be humble. Because otherwise we won't allow others to be lifted up and to, and to fulfill their calling. 
We need to be willing to take risks on people. Go and fetch those that people have counted out. Bring them to church. Uh, start discipling them. Start meeting with them. Uh, be friends to people sometimes, even if they don't want you to be friends to them. Just keep encouraging them. <laughs> just be a friend. Be someone who encourages. Don't take that to stalker levels. You can take that too far. Don't be like my pastor told me I should be a stalker. Be patient with the failures of others. Be patient with the failures of others. And finally, we have to be generous. Now you might be looking at those things and going, I don't know, how am I going to become humble? How am I going to learn to see people with that potential? How am I going to be patient, more patient with people's failures? How am I going to become more generous? I want to throw it back right to the beginning of that, of that verse that we read in Acts chapter number 11 when it spoke about Barnabas. Because it says, Barnabas was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That was the source of, of this goodness that Barnabas was, that Barnabas had. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of faith. That means that God's Spirit was working in him, causing him to become an encourager, causing him to, to have compassion for people, causing him to be willing uh, to, to be the least so that others can be, can be promoted. That was the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And full of faith. Because you can't be generous if you don't have faith in God. You can't be humble if you don't believe in who God has called you to be. So how do we become all of these things? We put our faith in God. We put our trust in Jesus. And we rely on the Holy Spirit that is present within us as His grace works in us and helps our lives to become less about us and more about others. I truly believe that every single one of us is called to be a leader in the kingdom, to be leader makers and to be encouragers. We, we go back to what, what we read right in the beginning where Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Build one another up. That's what we're praying that God would cause us to become. Encouragers. Humble patient, generous. I'm praying for this for my life, and I'm going to be praying this week. I'll be praying every single day that God helps all of us to become like Barnabas, that God would help us all to, to take on the, those gifts of the Spirit in an increasing, ever-increasing way. How many of you want that for your own lives? Come on, we want that. Let's just go ahead this morning. Let's pray, and, uh, and let's thank Jesus for what He is doing. Jesus.